Hi, I'm Alan Alexandrov, and I'm one of the senior editors of the Oxford Journal Global Summetry. It's my pleasure today to reintroduce to you uh, Oliver Delacosta Stanko. Today uh, is episode six of the Summit Dialogue series, and I've called on Oliver to talk about uh, the 10th BRICS Summit in South Africa that occurred in uh, late July of this year. What I wanted to explore with Oliver is uh, the evolution of the BRICS Summit from its origins 10 years ago. There was a lot of skepticism, particularly in the West, over the creation of the BRICS Summit and its development over the last 10 years. But clearly, the summit continues, and I wanted to explore with Oliver you know, exactly the kinds of things that the summit leaders have been up to, along with the ministers of the various governments of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Oliver is an associate professor at the uh, FGV in uh, Sao Paulo. Oliver has written extensively on the politics of the rising powers, including his 2015 book, <clears throat> The Bricks and the Future of the Global Order, as well as more recently, his book by uh, Polity, Post-Western World, How Emerging Markets, uh, How Emerging Powers Are Remaking the Global Order. He's a frequent commentator on the hemisphere, in journals, and in media across the region and globally. I welcome Oliver uh, to this particular session. Welcome, Oliver. It's a pleasure to have you with me, particularly uh, since we were fortunate enough uh, in an earlier podcast to have you uh, speak about um, the Summit of the Americas. And today we're going to uh, discuss a little bit about um, the 10th BRICS Summit uh, in Johannesburg. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's great uh, to be with you. Um, uh, so, Oliver, um, uh, the leader-led portion of the BRICS Forum, and BRICS, of course, standing initially for Brazil, Russia, India, and China, and then it enlarged in 2011 with the uh, with the addition of South Africa, and you noted, you know, that there was some early significance uh, of the IPSA, that is the India, Brazil, and South Africa uh, gathering. Um, maybe you can quickly review for us both IPSA, its creation, and then, of course, the BRICS. Right. Well. I think uh, IPSA uh, precedes BRICS. I think there was uh, uh, an attempt uh, by Brazil, India, and South Africa to strengthen ties, particularly uh, in response to what the three countries uh, saw as an inadequate uh, inclusion uh, into existing uh, structures. There was a sense that uh, the you know outreach uh, process by the uh, G7, G8 at the time mm -hmm. uh, wasn't entirely... Uh, you know, was, wasn't really meant to provide uh, the visibility and responsibility in space for those countries which they thought they deserved at the time. Uh, but BRICS actually then uh, increasingly uh, replaced the importance of IPSA 
particularly after 2009 when the first presidential summit uh, by uh, BRICS countries took place in Russia. Uh, in response, I would say, to a perception that the existing structures were uh, not up to the job at the time to respond uh, to the uh, financial crisis of 2008. And I think there was a moment when uh, the BRICS countries realized that they could benefit from working together uh, by uh, both uh, taking the lead internationally, providing more capital uh, to the existing institutions, but at the same time pushing for uh, internal reforms within those institutions and seeking to gain a greater say about the structure of the international system. Mm -hmm. And I think um, from then on, we had what I call a spillover effect, I think, uh, the origin of the BRICS grouping is the financial crisis, is that moment when you had a crisis at the center of the international system and the periphery uh, growth was uh, still relatively high. The, the crisis came later to the BRICS, so at that particular point in time, they indeed could uh, provide the leadership role. And I think starting from that point, there was a perception in, in BRICS capitals that they could attempt to work together in other areas as well. We then have an expansion of activities uh, going from international finance to development, uh, to defense, to agriculture, etc. So we now have about 100 intra-BRICS meetings a year. Uh, about 20 of those are uh, ministerial level. So there's really quite um, an engagement going on. Uh, I, I would say the most significant step was starting in 2015, the creation of the new development bank, uh, which has started oper operating now and it is, has been operating for about two years. And in a sense, I think, is a sign that these countries are willing to uh, prolong and, and, and deepen their, their cooperation, which, it must be said, was very superficial prior to the creation of the BRICS grouping. So in that sense, I think it's a grouping that um, has, in a sense, helped those countries diversify their partnerships, uh, but at the same time, which doesn't limit their uh, room for maneuver, uh, cooperate, or where they, where they have closer ties to, to outside, to, to countries that are not part of the BRICS grouping. You, you've mentioned one of the what appears to be a key institution of the BRICS, the New Development Bank. The other, I suspect, is the <clears throat> Contingent Reserve Arrangement, um, what's called CRA. Uh, these seem to be the most notable uh, uh, arrangements at the moment uh, by the BRICS. Uh, so, you know, what are they and why are they so important to kind of the advancement of the BRICS as a group? Well, I think the first thing is that, you know, uh, when we looked at the BRICS grouping, when most analysts looked at the BRICS grouping 10 years ago, I mean, the vast majority of people thought that this wasn't going anywhere, right. that these countries were too different from each other. And I think when you look at this grouping from a G7 perspective, a, a group that is very homogeneous, uh, that looks at the world from a very particular perspective, and which has worked in the past decades because those countries are very similar, uh, they share a lot of uh, you know, characteristics in terms of political system, uh, you know, their geographical outlook on the world. So there's a lot of elements where it's easy for the G7 to cooperate. And when you really compare that to BRICS, and it's quite natural that a lot of people would say, well, BRICS clearly can't do that because uh, they are different, you know, they have different political systems, they're in different parts of the world, they do have elements of rivalry that are quite serious, particularly in the case of India and China. Border conflict, an ongoing border conflict that's uh, quite serious. 
But it's really quite significant that this uh, grouping has prospered because, in a way, the type of cooperation we see between British countries is the type of cooperation that will be necessary in a more multipolar world. When you mm -hmm. insist on only cooperating uh, with countries that are very similar uh, to you, you won't be capable of really engaging a large number of people. Uh, is that type of cooperation more difficult? Absolutely. Is it frustrating? Very much so, uh, because those uh, negotiations between BRICS countries are very slow, um, and the uh, yearly declarations are sometimes quite superficial. But uh, it is really evident that over the past 10 years, uh, you have uh, engagement on many, many levels of government, uh, broader engagement, uh, which I think has helped those countries think about uh, how they can, in particular cases, work together to uh, defend their own interests, to strengthen ties, to reduce obstacles in the bilateral relationships, mm -hmm. and to provide, at, at some uh, particular moments, global public goods. Now, um, I think the BRICS Bank uh, is probably more important than all the other initiatives so far, uh, because it's a very complex uh, process. Uh, it, it's now operating. It's still a fairly small operation, but you have now regional offices in Johannesburg and uh, in Brazil. I, I expect the bank to grow. There's still some resistance from Russia uh, uh, because Russia right now doesn't want to accept countries, additional member countries, uh, which have imposed sanctions uh, on Russia since 2014. Um, but I expect the bank to grow, and in the sense, you really have to, uh, you know, learn more and learn how to uh, how to work together with the other. Breaks members if you want to make this uh, bank a success. Mm -hmm. I think the other, uh, you mentioned the CRA, uh, the, yeah, the, the CRA, which yeah. I think it, because it's still tied to the IMF, which means that in order to uh, to access more than 30% uh, of the fund is necessary to also ask for help by the IMF, mm -hmm. I think it's still not really that important. I think okay. it may be the blueprint for something independent later on. Uh, at this stage, I don't consider it to be that important. I think the bank is probably uh, more important, but I think there's a lot of experimentation going on between BRICS countries. If you follow events at the summits, you will see that uh, you know there's um, there's this kind of conversation. Say, let's think about, for example, you know, creating a uh, uh, an, ag uh, an agency that evaluates. Uh, risk a rating agency, let's uh, right. try this, try, try that. <clears throat> a lot of these things don't work, but in a way I think there is kind of a spirit to really reassess uh, and to, to be innovative about what is possible uh, between those countries. And I think there is a lot of potential. Uh, the types of challenges some of those countries face are very similar. You look at inequality, uh, violence in the case of South Africa and Brazil, but also the, uh, dealing with you know uh, urban challenges um, as a consequence of large uh, internal uh, migration movements in China and India. Uh, so I think there's there's many aspects like that mm -hmm. where, where cooperation mm -hmm. is possible. But again, I think from a G7 or from a Western point of view, it is very hard, I think, to understand the rationale uh, which has led those five countries not only to continue their cooperation, but to actually deepen it over the past decade. Um, is there, you know, uh, the 10th anniversary summit occurred recently in South Africa, Johannesburg. Is there anything that you can point to uh, with respect uh, to this 
10th anniversary meeting, other than in fact that it is a 10th anniversary, which is some milestone, but is there something that you can point to that gives you a sense of uh, where the bricks are today? Well, I think this is a very special occasion, uh, largely not because of bricks, but because you had a, uh, a very peculiar uh, a G7 summit. Uh, at the same time, I think this is also important for uh, five countries that do have a lot of influence in their respective regions and neighborhoods, also on the international stage, a lot of uh, ambition despite crises in some of the member countries. Uh, I think it is important to point out that despite the rise of protectionism, of populism, of nationalism, uh, you have here five countries that come together and say, you know, uh, undermining globalization or free trade is not the answer. I think that's quite significant uh, to, to, to have that. Um, I think it was always a particularly uh, important moment for South Africa with the new president to, um, you know, articulate to the international community what the new president seeks to do uh, and how he seeks to overcome the political, uh, economic, and moral crisis that uh, the country uh, has been uh, facing for the past years. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I think that was mostly, I think, having that commitment, the symbolic or the declaration that breaks country will continue to uh, uh, to work towards, you know, uh, deepening international trade, committing to international institutions, particularly the time of Trump. I think that is perhaps the most important uh, takeaway from the summit. Really? Okay. I mean, do we take it at face value? I mean, you know, there is, there has been significant skepticism uh, around statements by uh, China's president when he, absolutely when he talks about uh, globalization uh, and so forth. So, so how are we to measure, you know, these? Um, strong statements of, uh, of support for continued cooperation. Well, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, again, uh, uh, the, uh, the BRICS summits are an occasion for the other member countries mm -hmm. uh, uh, to uh, you know, uh, articulate their interests and demands, particularly to China. It's really quite amazing that over the past 10 years, there's not a single head of government uh, has missed the BRICS summit. That's true. I mean, this is really considering yeah. all the other, uh, uh, you know, demands. Particularly, I remember 2010, the second BRICS summit. Uh, uh, Hu Jintao faced a lot of pressure at home to uh, cancel his trip to Brazil at the time because there had been an earthquake uh, in China. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, he wanted to make sure that this uh, initiative would, uh, you know, become a routine. And 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 I think. Uh, there is quite a commitment uh, and, and, and an interest, uh, despite uh, having seen changes in government in several countries. I mean, you now you used to have a center-left government in um, in Brazil, now you have a center-right government. Despite this change, similar changes in uh, in India, mm -hmm. you continue to have a commitment <clears throat> by governments to the BRICS grouping. Now, it's really uh, uh, different now from where it used to be. I think the United States no longer plays such an, uh, a crucial role uh, when it comes to uh, defending free trade, promoting uh, free trade uh, agreements uh, in the uh, context of fighting climate change, uh, for example. Those are other elements where I think, um, at least again, from you know, when it comes to statements, uh, I think the uh, the BRICS have been more sort of status quo, uh, right, and right. while the United States has a bit of a revisionist stance there. Um, at the same time, I think uh, uh, the we must be 
also uh, realistic about what the BRICS grouping can achieve. It's not a grouping that you know, in any way takes binding decisions. And also a grouping where this, because of continued growth in India and China, and because of stagnation in Russia, South Africa, and Brazil, is really becoming increasingly Asia-centric, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. is a tendency I think that uh, has become quite apparent uh, over the past years. So in a sense, uh, it is also an opportunity for the countries to uh, maintain a high-level dialogue with China, right. uh, and again, to articulate their complaints and their difficulties they have in the bilateral relationship, and that has been also the case in, uh, in, in South Africa. Um, now, how do we measure it? Of course, it's always extremely difficult, and there are several uh, attempts uh, to look at the implementation rate of, uh, you know, the BRICS declarations. A lot of those, uh, you know, ideas voiced are quite broad. It's very hard to actually make, you know, to, to test to what extent uh, those have been implemented. Um, but I think over the past years, I've continuously spoken to policymakers from BRICS countries, and uh, one of the things I really uh, see is that the BRICS corporation has helped uh, uh, bureaucrats, uh, think tanks, you know, the business council, etc., to at least make sure that other BRICS countries are on each other's radar, mm-hmm. uh, that people are aware that there's a shift of power going on, in a sense, allows them to establish uh, contacts in, uh, in in the other countries, uh, which again, through sort of a spillover effect, then can lead to useful corporations in uh, in other areas. I think a key example, which is quite interesting, is the National Security Advisors meeting. I, and I can say from a Brazilian perspective that this has been really quite significant because Brazil doesn't have a National Security Advisor. It took about four, five years for Brazil to figure out what it really, who, who should it send to these meetings. <laughs> uh, so the first couple of years you had people who are you know, experts in development because Brazil doesn't really uh, you know, security is not really an issue for Brazil in a classic geopolitical sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now uh, it, it, there is a post that uh, is institutional security is called. It's uh, in, in this particular case today, it's a former general. And uh, the current government has decided that this should be the person to attend the NSA meetings by BRICS. And that person, I think, uh, uh, having spoken to that person, I think it's, it becomes quite evident that uh, this has been a tremendous learning experience for Brazil to engage in this type of conversation about the future of national security, of you know the geopolitical tensions in Asia. So in a sense, I think this is a classic example, example very hard to measure, but uh, which has helped uh, policymakers in each other, in, in, in the uh, BRICS countries, to initiate and maintain a constant dialogue about how to deal with policy challenges uh, so I think uh, my sense is that this has, I think, broadened the horizon of the BRICS bureaucracies, and I think particularly in the case of BRICS uh, countries uh, who uh, which which face uh, crisis, uh, attention in the bilateral relationship, particularly India and uh, in China. Mm-hmm. I think nothing is wrong, and I, I would even say it is absolutely crucial that we see the BRICS. Uh, platform continue in order to make sure that you know in a case of a crisis that you have as many uh, you know relationships established as possible which I think in at a moment of of a potential clash are crucial to bring down the temperature 
So uh, maybe as a as a final kind of comment on uh, on the BRICS and the BRICS meeting in uh, Johannesburg is there has been some discussion about expanding uh, the scope, the number of uh, leaders attending uh, the BRICS summit. Do you have any sense of where that expansion of uh, of leaders uh, might take place with respect to the BRICS forum? Clearly. You've pointed out that one of the things that allows countries to kind of you know, deal with China and you know raise questions of bilateral. So who else might we be seeing there in the future? Well, it's quite interesting that uh, particularly during this summit, you had the uh, the president of Turkey, who was uh, at the summit, and uh, several high-ranking uh, uh, members of government in Turkey then uh, made statements to the press that you know. Uh, Turkey, quote unquote, deserved to be a BRICS member in the future. Uh, now, there have been a lot of talk about that. I personally believe that uh, the relationship between Turkey and Russia is quite complicated. Uh, Turkey is a NATO member. Uh, and even a country like Brazil, which doesn't really have uh, a, a tense relationship with, with NATO, uh, I think uh, would um, perhaps object uh, to this kind of, uh, of deal, accession by a country that, from a geopolitical perspective, is deeply integrated into the transatlantic security system. Now, over the past years, several countries have articulated their desire to be part of the BRICS grouping. Oh, yeah. Mexico, Argentina, mm -hmm. uh, Nigeria, Egypt, Indonesia, Turkey, Iran. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that. Uh, Russia's uh, foreign minister recently commented that um, uh, that at this stage, the priority is deepening the relationship uh, between existing BRICS members rather than expanding membership. And I think uh, to some extent that also points to the benefits, uh, the exclusivity that current BRICS members enjoy, because if you expand the grouping, it of course loses some of that exclusivity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think particularly for countries uh, that you know don't have that many other sources of status of international status as you know either emerging powers or countries that have a global reach, say Brazil, South Africa, and Russia. Uh, I think they are more skeptical. India, perhaps too. I think China would be the least uh, uncomfortable, be uh, most uh, understanding, or at least uh, even interested in a in, uh, BRICS expansion. I think the smaller members uh, aren't really that keen at this stage. Uh, I think there's also one really interesting uh, aspect that we need to keep in mind. A lot of people point to the differences between the BRICS, but there's one really important commonality, and that is that all the BRICS countries believe that they matter, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. And that is something you can't really see that much in other comparable states that could become <clears throat> BRICS members. It's something that you can, uh, a lot of people within the BRICS member countries, Brazil, particularly the original BRICS member countries, see as something quite natural. So in Brazil, for example, uh, you don't need to explain why you think Brazil should play a global role. It's just kind of part of the foreign policy or even national identity that the country sees itself as unique. And you see some, something quite similar in India, China, and Russia. Uh, and I think that, in a sense, also shapes the debates at the summit, is a sense that these countries are destined to play that role. Now, outside of Brazil, for, exa for example, in Latin America, that may be seen as quite arrogant. And uh, somebody in Argentina or Uruguay may ask, you know, do they deserve to play that international role? What is it, you know, who says it's qualifying 
to uh, speak for the region, for example. Uh, so I think you know there's a lot of criticism also. This is a very contested notion, the sense that they deserve to take a seat at the high table. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's not necessary. I mean, it's, it, it is interesting in a sense that um, I think the British countries increasingly are discussing uh, things related to geopolitics. Uh, they are talking a lot about terrorism. Uh, they will, I think, increasingly uh, also be confronted with political choices, the kinds of choices that Brits took uh, when uh, the, crime, the crisis in Crimea emerged, uh, when the annexation of Crimea happened. I think the Brits took a very conscious decision to uh, not criticize Russia. And I think increasingly now, with the rise of China, there is a probability that we'll see other kinds of moments like that. And I'm not sure to what extent a country uh, like Mexico, for example, would like to be, uh, you know, uh, confronted with or pushed to taking a decision to either align or not with the BRICS countries. Uh, so my guess is that we won't see expansion in the next couple of years. I think the focus will be on will be strengthening uh, intra-BRICS ties and particularly reducing tariff and non-tariff barriers okay. that still exist between BRICS countries, which is still quite significant. I think from outside of BRICS, I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're in a place uh, in a country that's not part of the BRICS grouping, I think a lot of times uh, people underestimate the, you know, the tremendous bureaucratic obstacles which make intra-BRICS corporations still quite difficult on a day-to-day basis. Really? Okay. Well, I really appreciate your kind of focus on the BRICS and... And that has, uh, I hopefully, added real dimension to people's understanding of, of, uh, of the BRICS forum itself. Thank you. Thank you very much.